Hello and welcome to another episode of the Coaching Bubble Podcast, where we talk all things coaching and hope to help as many coaches as we can along their own coaching journey. On this week's show, it's a pleasure to welcome Dr. Orla Farmer. Orla is a Cork football star and has recently completed her doctorate in UCC, exploring young girls' physical activity levels in conjunction with the LGFA. On today's show, Orla talks about creating an open coaching environment that allows for freedom of expression and the importance of knowing your players as people as well as athletes and how that will help you develop as a coach. We chat about lots of other ideas and concepts and I think there's a great deal for people to take away from today's show. As always, thank you for listening. Enjoy. Okay, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the show, Orla. We've been trying to get this done for a while now. There's uh, loads I want to touch on today, but maybe we'll start with your research because I'm sure many people listening will know you as a Cork footballer, but you've recently finished your PhD and uh, I know a lot of the stuff you're doing is a subject similar and close to my heart. So uh, maybe we'll jump in there. You might give us a brief synopsis of what you've been doing. Yes, absolutely. Thanks a million for having me on. Absolutely delighted. And also delighted to have submitted my PhD recently. About to defend it now, but um yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a great journey. Um it focuses on female youth sport participation. So I suppose where my research comes in is that um the Gaelic for Girls programme. So I'm putting an evidence I have put an evidence base behind the Gaelic for Girls programme. Um, so it's it's a program that targets eight to twelve year old girls, and the whole purpose of it is to increase participation uh, in ladies Gaelic football. So um, essentially, it's a tool to attract more girls to the ladies football and sport. Um, so I have, I suppose, I investigated. Um, I kind of started from the start and investigated right why are girls playing, what they like about ladies football, about sport, about physical activity, what's stopping them, you know, what's facilitating them, the enablers, the inhibitors, um, and put together an intervention to try and improve physical activity levels, skill levels, and also the psychological and psychosocial kind of aspects. So that kind of side can often be overlooked. Um, and I suppose my, my research found really positive results. Um, which now can be embedded into the Gaelic for Girls programme and can be used now all over Ireland um, as, as part of, of my research as well. So I suppose one of the main kind of re- findings that came through in my, my research was um, that of, you know, what motivates girls? Because we all know that, you know, their, I suppose the dropout rate for our girls is, is sharp, sharp to line at the moment. Um, in all sports, not just in GAA, in ladies Gaelic football. Um, so a programme like Gaelic for Girls is there as a tool to kind of increase that participation and try and get more girls to stay, um, staying involved in playing ladies football. Because ladies Gaelic football is the fastest growing sport at the moment. And that's why I decided to put my research behind that, because it's an attractive sport for girls as well. Um, so the main findings that came through in my research were that of like the motivators in terms of fun, friendship, you know, why are they doing it? Because they like to challenge themselves. Um, on the other side, then the barriers were that of like, you know, lack of enjoyment, ironically. You know, at one, one end they were playing because they want to play, they enjoy it, they're with their friends, the social aspect. Yes, then on the other hand, they were dropping out because the coach was too strict, you know, it was too competitive. They didn't enjoy trainings. 
um, fear of injury came in, you know, um, confidence, which was a big thing as well, that the lack of confidence, you know, they were embarrassed to kick the ball in front of other peers if they weren't, they felt they weren't good enough. The confidence and confidence came into it as well. Um, their skill level, which was also a big, big finding, was, you know, their fundamental movement skills, so basic skills and football-related basic skills were really, really low in terms of performing proficiency of them. So I think it was less than 2% were actually performing the skills at the rate and, and capability of which they should be um, performing the skills. So that was kind of like a big eye-opener in terms of the skill level amongst these girls. Orla, can I jump in there for a sec? Um, so you talk about um, these enablers and, and these preventers from stopping them play. And you're talking about um, the girls not enjoying it. So let, let, let's talk in a practical sense for any coaches listening that may be working with a, a group of young girls, teenage girls, whatever it may be. What are, are, are there, is there anything you can say to them that will help both attract girls to, to come and play, but also to keep those girls? Yes. Um, so I suppose I like the first thing I'd say is that, you know, find out like wh why are they playing? Why, why? What are they enjoying? What are they not enjoying? Like, I think it's just so important as a coach to get to know your players first, because, you know, it's fine when the research says X, Y and Z, but every team and dynamic is going to be different. So I think getting to know what your players like and having that aspect for girls, particularly like you love to have fun and they want to have fun and you can actually have fun and work hard as well at a training session I think that's like coaches sometimes don't think to think ah sure fun but sure we're here to win games and we're here to win the championship but you know girls value the fun and they value that social connection any coach that has coach girls or is currently coaching girls you know, they'll know that girls love to chat even before training, during training, after training. It's all about the chats and they appreciate that and they, they value that. So like, how can you bring that more into your training session? So one thing that I would usually do and I would usually encourage coaches to do is, for example, even in the warm up, you know, even just bring in a small bit of fun. I'm not saying you have to, you know, do a 10 minute fun game, just bring in a small element of fun, um, that social interaction is really, really important for girls. Leave them chat before training. Bring in a bit of fun, whether it's in the warm-up, in the middle to, to break up the session or at the end. Um, and, and, and praise and encouragement also. I know it's kind of like a given, but that's another big thing for girls. It's as an enabler is, you know, the positive praise, the positive reinforcement, the feedback. Girls crave that and you know, they value that as well. So but small little things like that can actually go um can go a long way for girls. But for me, I think like I even I mean training with the seniors still, um, in all my eleven years now playing with the Cork ladies footballers, the, the sessions that I remember are the ones that I actually came off laughing and you know, we still we still had a tough session, don't get me wrong, but we enjoyed it and we, we were coming off the pitch with a smile like this. And Orla, th th I, I love that message that that fun and working hard don't have to be exclusive to each other. You know that they can they can both happen hand in hand. So uh, are you finding that that message is getting true now? Is that something that we've still a long way to go with? Or what's your experience in that? 
Um, I suppose from my own experience in terms of my own research, um, one aspect of my research was focusing on coach education. Um, and what I found was that, you know, a good few coaches were not that they were like lacking confidence, but I suppose it's more just the knowledge of an, an understanding of what girls want specific to my own research now and um, when they knew that you know you can actually bring in fun and you can bring in these elements into the training session it was more of that understanding I think that coaches then felt confident to you know incorporate games that they mightn't have, have ever thought that they'd do before or that were slightly out of their comfort zone and um, but it was just down to the education and the knowledge I think that was actually the barrier and um, for some of the coaches in terms of fun because you know often we kind of think abature fun and and competition they're separate but they're not um and i think trying to highlight that to, to coaches is trying to merge the two together um that like you can have fun and you can have a have a tough session um and the girls will appreciate that too because i know from my own training i know Eamon ryan who trained me with heart ladies over the years like he often said that you know a coaching session is like a business um, you know, it's like if you went into a restaurant, you went into a shop and you received a good service, you felt good about yourself there. Nine times out of ten, you'll want to go back to that restaurant. You'll want to go back to that shop again because of the positive experience you had there. Um, so, like, I think it does kind of come back to that feel good factor. Um, and fun is a part of that, too. Yeah. And I think, again, it's a brilliant message. And what I love about it is or you're talking about it for the development of young girls and, and keeping them involved in sport and, and developing them in sport. But you're also relating it back to there you go, possibly one of the most successful teams in the history of Ireland <laughs> uh, and, and Eamon uh, being one of the most successful managers in ladies football. And there he is. His mantra is, is having fun as well as that hard work. And I think that's a really powerful message to take home. Um, you touched on the competence and confidence part of that uh, part of it as well um i wonder would you go into a little bit more detail and describing what that is wh and why it's so important um obviously it's something that 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 i would uh i, I would look into myself an awful lot but just think uh, for the listener uh, if you could explain that a little bit more yeah, so I suppose in terms of the confidence and competence, like in terms of sport and we, we'll say skill-related confidence or competence was something that I kind of looked at in my own research too. Um, and it, the key really is that like if if children, they can perceive themselves to be to be competent and that they are, they feel that they're confident in performing basic skills in any sport that, you know, nine times out of 10, they will want to come back to the training session. They'll want to continue playing um, and has that link there and has that correlation there to like lifelong physical activity and sport participation as well. So, you know, in one sense, children can actually perceive themselves to be brilliant at kicking a ball and yet their actual skill mightn't, you know, reflect that. But in one sense, there's no harm in, in that sense. They feel good about themselves, even if they're not getting the ball over the bar because that will come with time and with practice and with, you know, positive reinforcement. But I suppose the main thing is to instill that confidence and confidence. And like, we, we, we often forget that these skills are, have to be nurtured and they have to be practiced. Like we can't just assume that children can, you know, solo a ball or strike off their left, strike off, off both sides of their body, you know, can block a ball. We, sometimes we can kind of assume that, that children have these basic skills, but however, the research is actually saying otherwise, that 
children these days aren't actually, you know, developing, uh, developing at that rate due to uh, technology, other reasons like that as well. So I think it's more of like how, as a coach, how can you instill that confidence and competence in, in the children or in the group of players so that they will build their own confidence intrinsically and just not assume. I think that's a big thing for coaches. Don't just assume that he can run there properly now or he can he can get the ball over the bar now with his left leg. Like they have to be nurtured, these skills. But like it's almost kind of like going back to go forward. And um, it's basic skills. If you can get that right, coupled with the, the positive reinforcement um, and instilling that confidence that you know children will grow into their into adolescence, into adulthood with that confidence. Because like you'd even notice that now. Some, some, some of them might the players that I play with at both club and county level. You know, some, some of those girls wouldn't be confident at, at kicking both sides, or they wouldn't be confident at maybe blocking a ball or, or cracking and things like that. So, like, kind of, it, it can be prevented from from the start. So, like, going back to youth, that's when you want to instill the confidence. It's never really. I mean, you're not going to be too late in that sense, but. Like the key is when they're young is to praise, encourage and build up that confidence because it can be a massive barrier in terms of dropout rate for girls and for boys. Um, and it's something that can be controlled. So I always say like control the controllables that like, you know, it's your job as a coach uh, to, to want to better your player and to give them that freedom of movement and freedom of expression that they can become better players. Um, and essentially as a coach, you want them to go from under under eight all the way up to the senior team in the club. And um, so you kind of have to think out of the box as well and kind of say, what am I doing in my training sessions to try and instill the confidence and competence? Do they feel confident as well? Yeah, and uh, Arla, you're, pre- you're preaching to the converted with me, obviously. But um, do you find then in the research out there around the coach education side, was this a big shock to them that this they needed to be developing these skills as well as let's say kicking a ball over the bar or the block or whatever as you mentioned yes um i think for my own research um i think it's maybe it's the ga and maybe it's the, the fact that you know we're, we're an amateur sport as well can kind of trickle in in the sense that you know it's heavily relied on the volunteer aspect and you know a lot, a lot of coaches in my own research really for girls and in the LGFA you know it's, it's parents giving up their time as well um, to, to the coaching sessions and you know although they, they do courses and they do certificates and things like that it's it's almost like maybe we're lacking that kind of continuous professional development almost in the sense of just educating coaches on you know what like how to upskill themselves and how to improve their own training sessions um, kind of giving the onus two coaches as well that it's not just kind of you know, they have the ownership and they they're dealing with whatever bunch of, of girls and boys in their club so that they can better that that group I do think I do think there's a gap there in terms of coach education I think um particularly in the GA I mean I suppose as I said due to the amateur nature but um because it's advancing so much um and because you know it's it's, it's the most popular sport for for children and adolescents in Ireland at the moment, Gaelic football, hurling, ladies football, it's up there in the top three. Um, so because it's, I suppose the interest is there, I can understand parents, people, they want to get involved. But, you know, 
is the education going up with the interest as well? So it's kind of like you want to balance the education and you want to balance the interest so that you can merge the two um, to progress things in the game as well. Yeah, no, and I think that's a really simple message that you're giving, Orla, as well. You're just you're, you're talking about uh, focusing on those fundamentals early and praise, make it fun, praise them, encourage them, make them want to come back, as as a, as you referenced to Eamon Ryan earlier on, and hopefully that will uh, will 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 push them to motivate them to to take part in whatever sport you're coaching for as long as they wish to take part in it. I suppose, and and I think that's a I think that's a powerful message, and I don't think people can hear that enough. Like you know that that's that's should be our end game. I I would assume as when we're coaching kids or youths, you know, get them active, and and if the if the one percent make it and they end up playing in Crow Park or uh, the Aviva or whatever sport it may be, happy days. But I I think that has to be that has to be low on our priority list. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you you nailed it there in the sense that I suppose not every child we have to remember, you know, or adult wants to play in Crow Park and wants to represent their county too. Um, so we kind of have to think like that as well, that maybe we're talking about maybe 75% of the players you're coaching, are they want to be there because they just want to play and they want to participate and they want to enjoy themselves and get the best of themselves, you know, like, we also have to remember, you know, in terms of the coaching perspective that football, hurling, you know, whatever sport it is, it's it's only one aspect of their life as well. That like there are numerous other things going on in terms of their lifestyle, you know, with school, with other commitments, um, with family, with friends, you name it, with work and things like that. So um, which can all have an effect on performance as well. You mentioned that these other lifestyle uh, factors that can impact their participation or their the how they play, sorry whether they play or not. Um, would your research have found that these these type of factors are different for girls over boys, or are they much the same, or can you give us any more enlightenment enlightenment on that? Yeah, I mean, like, for, based on the research, there are similarities in terms of boys and girls, but I suppose the big thing really with girls was um the time and other commitments um you know I, I can even remember now doing one of the focus groups and one girl even mentioned she was like other things like shopping and going out with my friends you know so that was one thing that was one thing that came through um that like girls you know it's it's the time it's the commitment boys can come into play as well um at some stage in in their in their teenage years um generally it's 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 usually same in terms of like the time constraints, other commitments, schoolwork, homework, um, active enjoyment can be from both uh, a female and male perspective as well. Um, but the one thing for girls that was very different was that of, you know, a big barrier was the, the two competitive um, sessions that they were, they were almost too competitive, the coaches were too strict um, and it almost took from the enjoyment. Um, which I think a certain extent, you know, you, you were talking about a while ago, like the, the players that want to play in Co Park and they want to be represented by county. But I think if you can bring it back to the base and just keep it simple in the sense that, you know, if, if they're having fun, if they're enjoying the session, if they feel challenged, if they feel like they, you know, there's some bit of ownership and, and freedom of expression in that session, then the competitiveness will come naturally to those who, who kind of want to go. 
for it and you know you can't be pushy in that extent too but for girls I think it's definitely a different approach in terms of the competitive side and um, boys probably can be more competitive in nature as well um so it's similarities but definitely the, the difference there would be kind of too competitive yeah and 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 I think that again it's a, a useful message for anyone who's listening who is involved with coaching girls um that that, that there are slightly di- there is some differences and that that engagement and fun and having that confidence and motivation to continue playing is is very very important so Orly, you touched on it already in terms of your own playing experience. You're a, a long time in with Cork now and part of a very successful group of girls. Um, so in terms of your own playing experience, could you maybe talk us through some maybe adversity or challenges that, that would have come your way and in hindsight have actually helped you progress to where you are today as a player yourself? Because I think you've talked about... Um, stuff that has could prevent girls from getting involved in sport but i think it'd be great now to look at back at it from your point of view as a player in terms of 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 what uh some challenges that you may have overcome yeah well i suppose like as i said i'm I'm probably one of the oldies on the team now at this stage and this is my 11th year playing with the the cork ladies footballers and i suppose growing up um, I started kind of playing football, I suppose you could say at a, a late age, really, in, in since I was actually 11 in school. Okay. Um, and I, I was fortunate enough to represent Cork underage, under 14, all the way up um, to senior. Um, so year after year, I was fortunate enough to be part of that county set up um, and, you know, progress and win All-Irelands with the, the Cork seniors as well. But I mean, obviously, it's not, it's not all that, um, you know, Fine and dandy in the sense that you are going to have um, challenges and like it, 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 it hasn't been easy as well. You know, I mean, people often say, oh, the Cork ladies, should they have won six in a row there now and they've been the team to beat in the last few years. But um, it was for me, on a personal note, um, coming into the, the setup, I found quite challenging. I was only 17 at the time. Um, I was, it was in fifth year in school and I got called up to the Cork senior panel. So I was actually playing minor as well. Wow. And I found that very difficult to, to balance because of the intensity. It's just the difference from minor training um, going up to senior. And I suppose it was very demanding of me as well when I probably wasn't fully developed either. Um, and I had school training. Um, I actually was running as well at the time. So I was actually competing in athletics um, at a high level. Um, I actually represented Ireland in cross country at, at around the same period as well. Um, so I suppose it was very demanding kind of going from trying to run a 5,000 5, meter race, playing minor football, going up to senior football and also playing with the school. Um, yeah, a busy day. <laughs> I, I can imagine that, that could be a busy day. All right. Yeah. So it was, it was very demanding. I suppose I was very young at the time too. So looking back now, kind of thinking geez how did I do that all and I probably would have done, done things differently but I suppose when you're young you're enthusiastic you want you want to be involved in everything and anything all in the same go uh, but I did I did find that challenging um in terms of just my own like physical but like my strength and things like that I you know it was demanding on the body but also on the mind um and also trying to study for a leading start and things like that so but for me like when I when I talk about the scout or when I'm coaching, I always would take that into consideration in terms of like learning from it. Too many eggs in the one basket to a certain degree, but like I would always be cognizant of the fact that 
you know, some some players have a lot going on. And I know I mentioned that a while ago that you know, football or you know, like that, that particular team, that's only one aspect of that player's life. But they could be playing with a school, they could be playing with a college, they could be involved in other sports. You know, they could have something going on in their in their family life, anything. So I always, as a coach now, and still as a player, I would be cognizant of the fact that there's a lot going on there. So kind of helping players priorities and that kind of open communication, I would definitely like um highlight and kind of in terms of the importance of that open communication with parents, with players, and with other coaches. It's definitely something that was a challenge for me when I was younger, and it's something that I would bring now into my coaching and into my coach education as well. That just to be aware of that and be understanding. Um, otherwise, it's going to ultimately end in player burnout and you know potentially a player dropping out as well. It makes really good sense what you're saying. Is in if you know your players, obviously you're going to be better informed about what they're doing, what their load is like, uh, how they're feeling, etc. So knowing more than just what's going on in the sixty or seventy minutes you have them on the training pitch um, is going to make you a better coach and a more informed coach. Um, so can I ask you, when, when that was a challenging time for you, had you got some good ex- advice or supports from some of the coaches that you were working with at the time? Yeah, luckily enough, to be, to be fair, I actually had great support um, with like because I suppose I was playing minor and senior, you know, the seniors and the minor management would have been very aware of that. Um, and also in the school setting, I think the teachers were very um, understanding in that sense and my own club as well. Um, so, like, luckily enough, I had that support system and even my own parents as well would have played a big role in the sense that, you know, like, these sort of, I think you should take that training off or why don't you just go down and maybe do the warm up, uh, just show your face down there and just explain. And like, luckily enough, I had that support system, but, but that's not always the case as well. And um, some players can actually feel, you know, that they lack confidence in expressing that to maybe a coach as well. That, you know, just because I, I I was open enough and I had no problem saying to the coaches, look, I'm tired. But that's not always going to be the case either for some players. So I think having that open communication as a coach and having that kind of safe environment where the player can actually feel safe and, you know, have to say, look, I'm actually really tired today. Can I just watch the training session? And creating that environment, I think, is important. As I said, luckily enough, I had that support system. But that's not always going to be the case. Um, and, you know, looking back now, if I didn't have that support structure, like you could easily go down a hole there in the sense that, you know, you might feel, oh, God, do the other girls now think I'm just tossing out or I wonder, are they talking now about me because I'm not training? You just don't know what goes on in players' minds as well. So it's kind of open communication, I think, as a coach. And it, and it does have to come from the coach, really. In, in creation and environment with the parents also as well that like it's, it's the parent, parent and the coach it's like that triad that everyone is kind of you know feel safe and it's open to communicate as well you know it it makes perfect sense what you're talking about Orla and I you as you said you're probably one of the lucky ones that had that those supportive coaches interesting just to pick up on something you said there interesting that you said that some girls may not be confident enough to say it to a coach that they might be tired or they might be struggling or they have uh, other things on their plate. Do you think that that's common in then ladies sport? 
or in in sport in general, I suppose. Um, like I'm trying to think of it from my own point of view. When I was 17 or 18, not that I was on any county panels or anything like that, but um, I suppose when I first, let's say, went on to the adult side of the things in the club, I would have been maybe that would I'd be maybe thinking in my head, well, I don't want to show that a sign of weakness or anything like that. If that makes sense, would you find that that would you think that that's an issue? Absolutely. Yeah, I think even just from my own experience, but also from um, just based on, I suppose I do a lot of work with the Gaelic for teens um, and the coaches there in terms of the co- like educating coaches. And they would find that to be an issue also with the girls that, you know, that so, some girls are, are just afraid to speak up. And, you know, that confidence thing can actually be a barrier in itself. But girls, I think more than boys care a lot about what their friends think you have that kind of social comparison uh social acceptance is a massive thing for girls so like for example if you're if you're that county player you know you're going to be want you're, you're going to be wanted by most teams if you're going to be a good player naturally enough every team is going to want you and like sometimes if you're lacking in confidence you you'd be afraid to speak up in in terms of like you know if you are tired you'd be you you would be afraid to speak up um, to say that oh you are tired or you know maybe you need a break today so I, I do think it comes down to the education side to it again that you know creating that ethos in the club system um, that it's that open communication but definitely for girls based on my own experience even my own even at a county level like you know if you were injured subconsciously you'd be expected to be there you're like yeah well I'm still going training like and I still Sometimes I think girls don't speak up enough in, in terms of injuries and stuff. Like if a niggle, they're like, I'll just play anyway because I don't want to disappoint or I want to start in place on the team. Whereas I think from a male perspective, I think they're more open in the sense that if they have a niggle, then they they won't play. Like um, just based on my own experience, some of my own girls, and I've done it too. I mean, I've done in the past the playing, like if it was a game coming up and I wanted my start in 15 um, I wanted to be on that starting 15 that no, I don't, even if I had a small niggle, I'd be like, oh, should I just try now and say nothing? But like, it, it, is, it is a thing, um, not just for youth, but all as an adult as well, that it's almost like that kind of, oh, but I need to impress and, you know, I'll be fine, kind of, kind of an attitude, which can be dangerous because, you know, that can lead into the injury side of things um, and burnout essentially as well. Yeah, and yeah, it's it's crazy, and I, I suppose I never thought about it in a sense that, um, people would lack that confidence to communicate with the manager. I, like I talk an awful lot about people having confidence to to take part in an activity that requires a certain skill, and that that drives their motivation, etc. But I suppose I never thought about it from the the maybe the more uh psychological side or the the social side or whatever you want to call it. But in terms of that lacking that confidence to to open up to to a coach yeah. i think is a is a powerful one so uh orly you mentioned uh Eamon ryan earlier on and i'm sure you've had other coaches as well but is there have uh, is there many coaches you've had that have influenced you strongly in terms of potentially why you got involved in the research or how you play how you go about your daily life anything like that at all yeah i suppose i mentioned Eamon ryan earlier and he he is definitely one coach that Know, has been very influential in terms of my playing career and my 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 progression onto research in this sporting field as well but also just in how I go about um things you know 
outside of, of, of football um, as well as on the pitch as well. Um, I suppose just in, in terms of his coaching style, he was very simplistic uh, in nature, like just always kept things really simple, but at such an intensity. So, you know, he always kind of used to say like, you know, when you're training, like almost the minute you come on the pitch, it's like you're parking everything that's on your mind, you know, leave it, leave it in the dressing room and give your full attention to what's going on uh, on the pitch um, and then worry about whatever's on your mind when you get back out. It was really in the moment, um, instinctive kind of a coach and um, we could be doing the most basic drill. Like we could be just hand passing in a line across from each other, but it was the way in which he enforced the intensity and the concentration. Um, one one other thing that, that comes to mind is, you know, in the midst of a training session, he could just he could just call us all in into a huddle and he just whip out a snippet of a, a newspaper, something on the newspaper that he caught he caught up or on a book or on a magazine. And he'd open the he'd open the the, the scrunch up newspaper. He'd read out like a quote or he'd read out a little short story of something that nothing to do with football, but it could be another sport or it could be someone talking about, you know, us or it could be someone talking about another sporting person. And he just kind of he'd he'd say what he'd have to say and it would really just relate to how we play. And, you know, it would be like a key message of the training session. And it was like our focus. And um, I think that kept us on track as well. But I think he just had a way with people and he, he kind of created that, um, that just that kind of humbleness in us as well, that we weren't like going to be complacent. But at the same time, he had like high expectations of us and he created that culture within, you know, that Cork set up that like the belief, he, he believed in us and he knew that we were what we were capable of and mentioned that like you always have that little bit extra upstairs he used to say you know her, her brain is going to be telling you now that your legs are going to be tired and that you shouldn't track that ball or that you shouldn't make that tackle because you're tired there's always that little percentage extra that you, know, you need to you need to focus on and you need to get that out of you um when it comes to training and, and matches but I, I do think we trained like we were playing as well and I think he instilled that in us um as a coach but the one thing that stands out about Eamon is that he he kind of gave the onus to us a lot. He didn't actually talk a lot, um, but when he did talk, you know, it was very it was very important and to the point. You know, he might have had like three or four points that we need to do now in this game or in this training session. He didn't ramble on. He didn't, you know, give out. He never would kind of raise his voice. He was very calm in that manner. But he left us do the talking on the pitch. Um, and he let us trust each other and he let us kind of come up with our own scenarios because at the end of the day, we were the players and we had to make our own decisions on the pitch as well. So I really liked about Eamon. Um, not only that, but he was a great friend um, and actually really helped me as well, um, particularly when I was kind of making my transition from um, from secondary school into college. Um, he really helped me even with I studied Irish and P and UCC and he actually really helped me with Gwilga. He used to chat to me in Irish there, you know, on the bus. He used to be like, I'm up the right now and we'll we'll be a kind to say come around that's Gwilga. So we'd have a little chat in, in Irish, which you know is it's nice as well that to know that he actually had an interest and he cared for, you know, my whatever route I was going to take and he actually wanted to help me. 
no, I didn't I didn't have to ask him, oh, Eamon, sorry, could you help me with my Irish? Um, he was the one who approached me. So little things like that, I think, went a long way. And we we really, really like respect him um, as yeah. a person to that. And we, we wanted to do good, not for ourselves, but for him too, because he he looked up to us and he respected us. And we wanted to give that back to Eamon as well. Yeah, but and you, it it does ties in lovely the way what you talked about earlier on about creating that open environment where you were allowed to make your own decisions and and it just it, it, like the more stories you hear about him, the, the just he just seems to be a, a, a great a, a great great guy, and um and obviously the the success was well deserved. Um, Orla, we ask everyone that we have on uh, three questions, so we're nearly there. You've been great with the time. So first one, what does the term successful coach mean to you? Um, I suppose successful coach, like there are numerous kind of ingredients, if you want to call them, uh, to a successful coach. And like one one size doesn't fit all. I'm a big believer in that. Um, but I, I do think that like leaving players be themselves um, and leaving players be expressive. Like I always kind of think as a coach, give them the facts, you know, do the drills, do whatever you have to do, but let the players come up with their own conclusions. So give them that autonomy, give them that ownership as well. Um, I think that would be a big ingredient for me in terms of success. I also think that like, I know I spoke about it a while ago, like communication, I think it's like the glue that holds all those ingredients together that, you know, as a coach, you just have, you can't make assumptions. You have to be open. You have to be willing to be open with your players and you have to be willing to be adaptable as well that like I always think maybe it's just the teach, uh, my background in teaching but like nine times out of ten a, a session plan isn't going to go accordingly so I think that you know being too rigid as well like I think just being adaptable um is key in terms of like being a successful coach you, know, you don't know how your players are going to react to a certain drill or a game or you know a, a coaching moment so you just kind of have to be instinctive as well but be adaptable to the players needs um, I think that in itself determines success for me because you're, you know, at the end of the day, you want to get the best out of your players. They're the ones that are going to be playing. So I think by having that open communication, by having, you know, that willingness to be adaptable and kind of like flexible to a certain degree um, is important. And obviously knowing your players, um, knowing your players' needs and, and, you know, driving your training sessions towards, what your players' needs are as well. That, for me, I think that's success. But I mean, there are numerous other things that you could add. Um, but I think empathy, communication, um, and just being adaptable, um, I think that's important for me. Yeah, well, I think the, you'll go a long way to get a better definition. It's pretty It's pretty on the money. Um, best book resource that you'd recommend to coaches listening? Um, I suppose in terms of like, I'd listen to podcasts. Um, I suppose I, I'm sick of the reading now with my, my thesis at the moment so um, I do like to listen to podcasts when I'm in the car and stuff um, but I know um, recent podcasts I've listened to um, the Team Snap um, podcast they kind of cover like numerous different sports but from different kind of perspectives like from an athlete perspective from a parent's perspective from a coaching perspective um, and also the sports coach radio um, I just enjoy listening to podcasts but they kind of have a bit of everything um, in terms of like youth sport coaching all the way up to like competitive elite athletes yeah, what, was that, um, what was that first one you mentioned Orla? Uh, Team Snap Team Snap podcast. it's actually an app you can download it's, it's actually an app 
and they have podcasts as well. I just find it good. Um, and in terms of like, I suppose at the moment I'm I'm heavily reading my thesis to prepare for my Viva, but um, I do think, um, you know yourself with this one, um, Stephen, um, I think the Canadian perspective is very interesting. I know um, Support for Life um, in Canada, they have some fantastic um, resources um, and sometimes, do you know what, it's, it's actually nice to look outside of Ireland um, for resources and look at different countries and how they kind of um, set up in terms of like coach uh, education, resources, different things that you can use that, you know, you, you wouldn't usually use in a training session. They have some nice ideas and they have some nice kind of video clips um, and kind of articles and stuff as well. If you were interested in the research side of it in terms of like the physical literacy, which is a big thing now. Um, at the moment so I know uh, Sports for Life Canada um, they have good resources as well yeah 100% I, I couldn't agree more it's a, it's a superb resource online they give it all away for free and they're probably 10 to 15 years ahead of us or where we should be in terms of the, yes. the physical <laughs> literacy and fundamental movement skills etc but we're, I hope we're catching up uh, on them um, so Orla last question um, your top tips for a developing coach um, I suppose I kind of co- well I covered it to a certain extent in this being a successful coach, but um, for me I think it's number one like get to know your players, um, get to know their wants, their needs, their likes, their dislikes, get to know them as people first, um, and then players. That would be the the big thing for me. Um, the second thing I would say would be allow for that like freedom of expression. Um, sometimes when it's overly kind of rigid and too structured it can actually take from a player being instinctive and kind of a player fully allowing themselves to you know to to be the best they can be on the pitch as well so I think like giving them ownership and giving them that sense of autonomy and that freedom of expression um is important for me as, as a coach um I think as well like we often kind of think of the players but I think as a coach the third thing I would say would be to be reflective like as well on your own coaching kind of philosophy on your own coaching style um get feedback like ask people you know whether it's your peers whether it's theirs like there's no harm in even just asking after a training session oh how did you find this or even rate the session you know would you think that's an eight now um just so that your kind of goals are matching what the team's goals are. And that comes down to that assumptions again. I don't just assume that you think a drill is hard or if you think a drill is fun. You need to know your players and you need to have that open communication as well. Reflecting on your own style um, are the things that you can improve because, you know, it's fine to kind of say the players aren't improving, but you do better yourself. Maybe you're the problem. Maybe you need to change something. Are you open enough? are you willing to come out of your comfort zone as a coach um and you do that by by getting feedback and just being honest so maybe it's things you don't want to hear at the end of the day but you know sometimes we need we need others to be quick ourselves to actually come out of our comfort zone and say yeah actually maybe i am a bit too strict here or maybe i need to brush up on this or you know maybe the training session is too long or too short or needs to be more intense like get feedback you're never going to know unless you get feedback from your players, from other management, and maybe from parents. Sometimes it's the parents. <laughs> players will go back to the parents saying, oh, it was such a hard session, or oh, God, I, I didn't enjoy that now too. So just having that willingness to kind of 
see how you're getting on and be reflective. I think those are the top tips for me anyway. Yeah, and we're big, big fans of reflection on this show. We talk about it an awful lot and we actually have a, there's a free resource uh, attached to the page online if anyone wants to download it. Um, Arla, I know I said that was the last question, but I missed one. Do you, do you, have, do you mind if we go into one? Because I think you're ideally placed to, to, to answer this one. Um, so girls in sport, you mentioned about the dropout rate, etc. And it's, it's, a, it's a common theme in, in news cycles, etc. But given the advances that we're making in, in, in research such as yours and, and campaigns like 20 by 20, uh, do you think we're turning a corner for female participation in sport in the country? I do. I think like we are getting better. I mean, we can't just expect it to, to turn overnight. Um, I do think that little, um, the 2020 campaign, uh, the WGPA, and um, they're really, really pushing um, just you know, recognition for women in sport funding, which is a massive thing. Um, <laughs> to even think that I know from my own experience, like the attendance alone is a credit to how far ladies football has progressed in the last 10 years. I remember playing Kerry in 2012, 11 or 12, I think, up in Coe Park. I'd say there was about 18,000, 19,000 at the game. And then to play, you know, I think it was 2019, or 18, sorry, um, against Dublin. And for it to reach over the 50,000 itself, the progression um, that, it, that it has made over the last few years. Um, I do think funding, like a lot of it comes down to funding too. Um, I know... Only two or three years um, ago, we only got fed our first hot, hot meal with the Cork ladies, imagine. So we actually won six All-Irelands in a row without being fed after training, which is mad to think really. Something, yeah. basic, something basic like that. But you know what? It is It is coming um, slowly but surely. And like we just have to be grateful for the positive steps. But there's no point in complaining, being like, oh, but should the men get more and this and that? Like, progress and and we're going we're, we're certainly going in, in the right direction Arla, that's brilliant um listen you've been phenomenally good with your time i know it's a busy time for you with uh preparing for your vibe and we wish you the best of luck with it i think there's so many takeaways from people today from the very start you talked about the fun and development uh and that, that these things are not uh exclusive to each other that you can have fun but also develop the players and be competitive to focus on the fundamentals early and praise and encourage and make sure that the girls and, and kids in sport want to come back to training to create that open environment that that gives allows for freedom of expression and i think the big thing i'm, I'm taking away is talking about knowing your players as people as well as the athletes and that 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 will help you become a better coach or thanks a million for coming on thank you for listening to the show we hope you can take something from it that will help with your own coaching journey as always, you can listen or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And you can find us on all social media channels at Bubble Coaching on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Please get in touch because we would love to hear from you. The show was produced by Niall Williams and brought to you by the Coach Education Department of the Camogie Association. Thanks again for listening. Till next time.